once thought sucked, but now you realize that they rock. They still suck. Fear and loathing podcast. Wow. Welcome, everybody, to Fear and Loathing in Cinema podcast. Hope everybody had an amazing Thanksgiving week. I know we sure did. We were Hannibaling it up, of course. Uh, we had all of our decadent, delicious, delicious food with the people we care about, just like Hannibal and Clarice. But it's a different week. It's a different show here on Fear and Loathing in Cinema. It is going to be. It's going to be something. We're going to get lost in New York. Basically, is what we're going to do. I'm Brian Kluger. It is November 28th, and I'm joined by all the amazing hosts with the most. Oh my goodness! Coming in from Florida at the little Como Motel where it's raining cats and dogs everywhere. Chelsea Campbell, how are you? I'm good. Um. There are Christmas trees in Florida, um, and I just want to say you three are the only men that if I walked in and saw you naked, I'd grow up feeling like it was never a real man. So (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. I love that. Perfect. Go decorate a palm tree. Um, Always good. Coming in. From Austin, Texas, the man of Duncan's toy chest, Dan Moran. How are you? I am doing great. I'm just here to feed some pigeons and get through this podcast with you guys. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, and then last but not least, in Denton, Texas, oh my God, the man who escaped during a prison riot to... Uh, get sticky preston barta how are you i'm good this is that thankful celebratory time of the year where i'm just incredibly thankful for the three of you doing this podcast each week i look forward to it i find you so insightful knowledgeable funny and i just enjoy it so much but enough of this gooey sh- um, uh, show of human emotion uh thank you so much let's move on oh that was wonderful thanks buzz, buzz. yeah <laughs> oh so good if you can't already tell we're going to talk about home alone 2 lost in new york from 1992 Oh, I'm so excited. We've got we got a couple questions we asked the internet. We're gonna we're gonna bring it to it. But one of the questions that was posed to all of our listeners online was who is the real villain in Home Alone 2? And after watching it again, I'm gonna have to say it's definitely Harry and Marv because they had they have no qualms about killing children. Um, even though they didn't seem to can't even kill one, but, uh, (laughs) they they want to. So I'm going to say them still. Uh, what about y'all? His parents, they're the worst. Really? What do you mean? (laughs) Really? They're the absolute worst. Literally this happens one year later. And like, if that were my kid, I'd be like, 
we can't leave Kevin anywhere. Like Kevin would be like fully chained to me. Like, I. It's yeah. Or you it's, would triple confirm that they're on the flight and everybody's yeah in order. Yeah. It's the I, dad specifically. The mom seems to care about her son. The dad has left his son twice at this point, and the first movie doesn't even give a shit. Well, they have five kids. Yeah, Who has just, five kids? And in this movie, he seems bummed about it. But then the whole like the coda or the the kicker at the end of the movie is he's upset that his son, who he <laughs> abandoned again, used his credit card. Like he's a terrible dad. Yeah. Just on room service. Uh, okay, so, so the so parents his son could eat. So do you do Preston and Dan? Do you both agree that it's the parents? I think that Harry and Marv talk a lot of game, but like you said, they just, you don't see it. Um, they're just victims of Looney Tunes. So what we can see, what I can analyze that's on screen, I think his parents are pretty bad. And they, they've shown that that twice. And you would really think that, and I'm sure that was a struggle probably for them as the actors. They probably just took the money. Like, how do you not take the money? But, uh, yeah, I, I'd be struggling with, like, how you make the same mistake. They kind of make light of it, poke fun at it when they're in the right after they realize. So th there is one moment of the dad kind of showing because they're going down the line and everybody's like, Kevin's not here. Kevin's not here. And then, like, Kevin's not here with the mom. And then he's like, wait, what? So he kind of has a moment of realization there. But. Other than that, yeah, I think they show that they're not uh, the best parents to um, just to make sure that their kid's okay. Um, so well, well, we're going to get, the... get to that, yeah. No, I'm going to get to it now because even when they go to the police station, they make a joke like we've never we've never lost luggage, but we've lost a child. <laughs> Which was a great joke, by the way. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think I'd be making that joke in that movie. We never so seem the, to lose yeah, our luggage. I don't think I'd be making that joke. And then I don't know, as a as like a as a cop, I feel like that's like grounds for like child negligence. Like I don't know. I think because it, it was like such so nerve-wracking for them. And like well, the cop you know doesn't laugh, they but they're like oh. of it. But he they have a history of it. Yeah. Kevin, Kevin, okay. Marv and then I forgot what's the other guy's name? Gary. Harry. Harry. Marvin Harry threatened to kill kids all the time. We'll never be able to accomplish it. No. Kevin's parents are going to have a dead child in the next, like, two. <laughs> if this was a real family, next two calendar years, like, if they put in a pool, God forbid that tragedy that's going <laughs> to occur there. Like, they are, if they ever renovate the house, like, anything that they will ever do will end I, up in a dead kid. I completely disagree. I completely disagree with that. Disagree 100,000%. There's more evidence of them putting children in danger through their own, like, just negligence. Than, than there is. Uh, maybe the other children, but definitely not Kevin, because Kevin is a fucking genius. Like, the guy. Why well, wouldn't you keep an extra special eye on a kid that went missing last year? Because like, they have five kids and they, they're the parents. I mean, the parents are idiots. Uh, and okay, we'll, we'll, okay. We well, have the parents are idiots. We're there. We're yes, there. the parents are idiots. It doesn't make them the villains. I'm saying that they're idiots because 
they the the sole fact I think they're idiots was in the first few minutes of the movie when he unplugs the wall to um it, it, the and the alarm clock goes out and they just don't notice it like they don't look at the bed and like oh god it's whatever it's 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 not right and so I was like wait are you we're not paying attention here but that that's as far as that goes I don't think they're villains of the movie I definitely think Harry and Marv are I mean um, they're st- Stealing money for uh, hospital kids <laughs> and well, trying to kill a child. The what? Probably because Marvin Harry had bad parents. Mm. Right, right. I, I, <laughs> right, but not the McAllisters. I think the McAllisters do a good job, even though they're the family's not extremely great. When, but... when Kevin turns 18 and he does something terrible or god forbid he's talking to his therapist his first thing he's going to say is yes i have issues with my family because they don't care about me enough to even make sure i'm around when i was a child and it led to a lot of traumatizing events yeah do you think do you think he turned into john kramer (laughs) (laughs) that's a theory that's been floated around well yeah yeah he loves traps he loves traps do you think the real villain is New Line Cinema who rushed out this sequel? I would say that they didn't exactly rush this out. It came out two years later after the <laughs> um, after the first one. So it wasn't an immediate one, but I get why. Mr. Columbus, play the hits. <laughs> right. Also, okay, okay. So let, let's get into that because we have another question, but we're going to add that question in because it kind of follows our format here. Yeah. Um, but Home Alone 2... Um, of course, was released Thanksgiving of 1992. It was two hours long. It had a budget of only $28 million and it made $360 million. Pretty much everybody came back for this one, both um, actor-wise and crew-wise. Chris Columbus directed it again. John Hughes wrote and produced it again. It starred everybody, along with a few new people, such as Tim Curry and... um, a few other people, Rob but Schneider. yeah, Rob Sh- Rob Schneider <laughs> and a uh, a Ali Sheedy cameo, uh, yes. courtesy of John Hughes and President Trump. Right, right. So I remember seeing this in theater. I think it, I mean I was nineteen ninety two. I was eleven, and I was very excited. Uh, and I. I really love the second one. I think it really goes. And now watching it again, because uh, I've seen it multiple times, but watching it again, I feel like Christopher Columbus and John Hughes, Evil Dead, they're his own movie. Like you have Evil Dead and then you have Evil Dead 2, which is like basically a remake and like goes more over the top and funnier and even more violent. This Home Alone, Home Alone 2 is basically Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. It's a remake. This is the same shit happens, and but just on a bigger scale. Uh, and I love that about it. But I do remember seeing it in the theater and loving it. Um, and still love it to this day. Uh, what about you, Dan? I don't remember seeing it in the theater. I even texted my mom last night to ask. <laughs> um, I'm sure I did, but I know that I watched it countless times on home video and whatnot growing up, just like the first home alone and i definitely will probably get to it i i I definitely like the first one more 
Um, but the second one definitely has its moments and and I enjoyed it. Good, good, good. Chelsea? I don't remember seeing this in the theater. I'm pretty sure I saw it on some kind of like VHS home video during the holidays. Okay. All right. And did you like it back then? I loved the Home Alone movies uh, when I, you know, when I was younger. So, yeah. All right. All right. Preston. Not now. Not now. (laughs) Uh, Preston, if I was 11 years old, that makes you like one or two. (laughs) So I guess you didn't see this in the theater. At least you don't remember it. Yeah, as far as I know, no. Um, yeah, th- I don't remember when it was. It was probably like five years old watching on VHS, so a couple of years years later. But it's still a part of my, both films, I would say, are a part of my, you know, rotation each year, um, holiday-wise, holiday film-wise. Um, and yeah, I enjoy them. There, there's just, uh, I mean, I grew up with the Looney Tunes and, you know, the uh, Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner. And so I like that kind of humor, especially growing up. And then when I watched it with my son last night, you just can't help but giggle at seeing people get hurt in such a way. So um, it's did, just, it's, it's kid, kid, uh, uh, catnip kind of thing. Did so. your son like it? Oh yeah. Yeah. But there's one line in here and we're going to get to like our, our funniest scene um, that he just would not stop laughing, has repeated the line over and over. And uh, uh, it, it was one of those core memory kind of moments. So, uh, okay. Well, good. And so watching home alone and home alone Two growing up, did any of you really want to make traps in your house or to your parents or to anybody did anybody kind of go that route is like oh i'm gonna draw up a master plan on paper in the matter of seconds and i'm gonna know how to hook up electric wires to burn people it's crazy but did anybody go that route no brian when my family went on vacation they usually made sure i was with them so I had to resort to survival techniques. Um, in <laughs> no, oh my God. So, all right, all right. I mean, I always thought about it, but I never made like traps. I mean, because they're just like very hardcore pranks, I guess. Honestly, not, not traps, but we had um, gerbils growing up. Not that we would trap them, but we would make like elaborate mazes for them to like find okay. so that's the closest like we would draw out like oh we're gonna make him go over the legos over this way and then if he can get over here then he's gonna get a peanut or whatever like that's the closest we ever got to drawing maps or plans in our house and obviously they weren't to hurt anybody <laughs> yeah yeah definitely not to like uh harm anyone but they're like certain things like uh well i guess this was the the first one doing the zip line from the tree house to the house stuff like that that had a little more adventure and thrill for it that does not have the potential to hurt myself or anybody else. Uh, I, I took more from like Goonies kinds of traps and things like that that were a little more like to help you or something like that. <laughs> not to hurt people. I, oh, man. I don't Dan, know. I, I, think it's we- I think it's weird you guys never threw bricks off the top of a building. Yeah. Dude, that's we're going to get to that. Because that scene is unbelievably, oh, that's classic cinema. And I, Dan, I thought you were going somewhere else with that gerbil story. 
but for <laughs> the microwave, uh, <laughs> Richard Gear was at the end of the maze. <laughs> it's so crazy <laughs> no. that Richard Gear is now always be associated with gerbils for no reason. Apparently, <laughs> it's it's so good. But okay, let's get into this movie. So. The movie starts out and it's like, it's the same. Everybody's running around the McAllister house going on a trip. It's like, it's the same thing as the first film. And then what's great about this is that the, we talked about a little bit about it. The parents, Catherine O'Hara and John Hurd, they, they're just, I don't know if it's just like parents, maybe the parents here can relate, but if you're, if you have these many people in your house about to go on this big trip for the holidays, you might not be paying attention to things or you might be short with family members. But mm -hmm. Catherine O'Hara just Kevin loves Christmas trees. And Kevin says, uh, I there's no Christmas trees in Florida. And she goes, decorate a palm tree. And then they don't notice the alarm clock. Is this true for parents? Like, do you do you get this sense of like this is just over the top? Do you think they're uh inherently mean to their children or just to kevin or can you see where they're coming from watching it now as an adult and a parent i can see where they're coming from because i just came back from a disney trip and so just merely trying to get out the door is a big ask of everyone including yourself and so it's stressful you're trying to get to a place at a certain time to rope drop and gather all your food and make sure he eats breakfast, brushes teeth. Like there's so many things that need to happen. You're spinning plates. So I can certainly understand and relate to that stress of being short with people and uh, maybe not having that uh, room to just kind of take a beat and be like, wait, I'm being a little harsh here. I need to make my child. You just don't have that time um, because if you wake them up even earlier, like they're like their heads all messed up and you just can't, you can't get them to understand it. It, it, it never becomes a two way street uh, in that regard. So that they just have no understanding when it's that early. So um, what, what I will say about that opening scene compared to the first one is that she does uh, Catherine O'Hara's character kind of takes some time and they're having some uh, uh the conversation compared uh, in that one compared to the first one seems a little bit more dialed back and uh not quite as i don't know maybe mean uh, but uh th th there's some things that happen after that i find more uh satisfying that i'll say but we'll get to but i'm curious to know what you, what you else uh the others think dan do you do you feel like you're do you relate to these parents yeah i think they were a little extra harsh um or a little extra short but for sure frustrations set in pretty quickly when you're all trying to scramble and let's let's be clear especially in the first one their extended family sucks I was going to get to that because, okay, so before they go on the trip, there's a Christmas pageant at the school and Kevin McAllister has a solo singing. His brother's behind him and like just humiliates him. And uh, Kevin pushes him and it kind of destroys the whole stage. And so I just want to say Kevin McAllister for 11 years old, 
tells it like it is, man. He yeah. calls out everybody like a baller to his family. And he's such a badass about it. Yeah. And I was just like, in that moment, I just wanted to clap and just, it, nobody believes him, not even his parents take his side. They take yeah. Buzz's side because maybe he's the the only child or the first child. I don't know. He hands uh, it up. He what? He hands it up. Like he, he he's doing a performance when he's doing his apology. He is. But don't you think from part one to part two, Kevin has... It like yeah. shows like his genius. Like he is not yeah. afraid to tell it like it is. Where uh I mean I, I just thought I found that amazing. Did you did you, Chelsea? I just don't understand what's so funny about like I don't know that the whole audience thinks it's like the funniest thing they've ever seen with the like uh, candles behind the that, that was a mean part. The entire audience of adults is laughing at this poor child <laughs> being made fun of. So I guess that's what I kind of like fixated on. And I was like, oh, so it's not it's not just the brother. It's like, why is everybody else laughing at this poor yeah. child? Well, I will say this. Well, Buzz is funny. Like when he like he I mean, it's so nuanced when he like tells the kids, like, just move over a little bit. I've got something I'm going to do. And he just does something simple with the ears. And he starts doing the drum beat that. I mean, I laughed at that because I thought that was funny. <laughs> it's funny, but it's not like a whole crowd of like at a Christmas pageant to like laugh at a little kid funny. <laughs> Maybe nowadays. I don't know. We, we're a bit meaner back then i would say i feel like if this was happening happening in 2023 and something like that was happening you would have like half the audience being like "Ooh, no no like they, they, yeah. would, they would understand that that kid's emotional emotions but right? yeah 20, 30 years ago people were yeah i was and i, I want was, as we see shit. throughout all this movie that nobody gives a shit no, nobody gives a <laughs> shit and so like to further bring home that Kevin McAllister is such a badass when they're getting into the car to go to the airport and you think he's missing. They left him. He's fucking in the front seat ready before yeah. anybody. Yeah. And it's like, I'll take my ticket, please. Thank you. Like the yeah. kid is amazing. Right. That, that was the part that I was talking about that, that was more satisfying, especially when he does that rant after, you know, Buzz does his apology and he's commenting on his uncle and his uncle says like, Uncle Frank, uh, we, uh, your dad put, you know, his hard earned money into this. And he's like, yeah, you cheapskate. Like, he's just like, you know, taking a free vacation. Yeah. But don't, but doesn't the, just the fact that Kevin is ready and he's committed and he's, he's just organized further kind of. Yes. That's why, I, that's why I disagreed with Dan a hundred thousand percent. No, that I they would not. He Kevin cannot be killed. <laughs> no, but I, it, it just kind of furthers that his parents are terrible <laughs> because he's doing everything in his like little kid, you know, brain to be ready and to, and they're just like, where's Kevin? Right, right. Oh, yeah, I don't think I don't. I, I think they're so uncoordinated, and they they. I can't believe they let it happen. But we're gonna get where. Yeah, let's let's get to that right now on how I think where the movie kind of. I think they're just furthering along the plot to get to the rest of the movie here when they show up to the airport and they're running, and then then it's Kevin who stops to put his batteries, and he can't wait. 
and he gets mixed up to go to the separate plane. And from there, when he gets on the plane, he thinks he sees his dad, but then he goes seats and he doesn't see the other 13 members of his family on a plane. And I feel like this is where we like suspend disbelief. It's like, wait, you didn't see your other 13 family members, your cousins, well, brothers, no. and sisters. We suspend disbelief at, at the ticketing and where the pilot's just like, you sure you're, you're in the boarding passes? You sure your family's there? Let them in. It like, was 1992. But they did say check to make sure they can see his dad first. Yeah. So they, he thinks I mean, he they did as much as they could. Yeah. yeah. But so, yeah, that, this is also another movie, you know, pre 9 11. So, like, yeah, I, I thought Chelsea was going to be the one to bring that up. Everything about the airport travel, I have to suspend a disbelief, but that's how it used to be. You could just walk in anywhere and walk up to a plane and be like, I don't think you have a ticket, sir. It's like, oh, I guess it didn't turn out. And you probably had a 50 50 shot of getting on that plane. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, it's and kids got special treatment. I I get that. I just don't get when he gets on the plane. He he doesn't realize he doesn't. None of like fourteen members of the family are traveling on the same plane. I don't. That, that, yeah. I was like, wait, what's going on? That and then work, that would work a lot better in today's day and age, where you could have had his like nose inside of an iPad, and he just sits down on a seat on the plane and doesn't even like look up or look around. He's just getting yeah. getting. But yeah, in, in this movie, it's like you probably see someone from your freaking family on this plan. So I agree. Right. And I, and I love, I love the fact that he sits down and he just says like, Hey, how are you to a seatmate? And the guy just starts talking French. And that's the first time in the movie where he looks at the camera and just like, really? And just puts on his headphone while the guy's talking. I was like, man, this kid is a gangster. Like he's so great. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I thought it was kind of dumb. So so the reason why he stops is to switch out the batteries. Is that is that what it was? Yeah, because his batteries were going out and he he stopped to put the and batteries he, in. Yeah. His it, that, see, that, yeah, that's that's a dumb thing on John Hughes's part. Like there those are like little moments that kind of count to kind of sell the audience. And so it should have been like, hey, there's a lot of people in the in the airport they bumped into it his batteries fell out he had to put them back in like that would make it provide a little more grounding i would right, say like if he dropped the the talk boy and yeah. it like kind of he had to put like a part back on it and something yeah. like that or put the batteries back in but just to stop and change the batteries yeah you're like you, you want to shake man. the kid yeah you're like what have the you hell ever, are you doing man have you ever been like out traveling and then you know, you have your Game Boy and it's dying and you just want to save things and you're like, where's my fucking batteries? <laughs> That's how I felt. I I looked at it and I said, Game That's Boy, I relatable to me. Game there there's there's something to be done there. You have you want to save your game. This yeah. what is he gaining from that? What is he gonna record in in that amount of time to the to the to the gate? I don't think so. Yeah, and he yeah. <laughs> Sorry. He's just he's a, he's dumb. He's a dumb kid for as smart as he is. Once we get into like all of the danger and all of the things when he's facing something like he still just randomly walked onto a plane, you know, like he's not he's still just a kid. So, a lot yeah, of but when he lands in New York and he realizes he's in New York alone, the kid like, owns 
the kid owns the town. Like he's outside a taxi cab Joker style riding across the bridge. He's saying hi to Santa's and then he goes to Chinatown and buys fireworks. Like what can't this kid do? Like, no, and this is all- I mean. I'll tell you what he can't do. He can't get on the correct plane or stay with his family in an airport. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm saying, like, at the end of the day, he's still a kid. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Let's, back, let's back that up. So when you were, when you're talking about Ali Sheedy's, Ali Sheedy's character, who yeah. is the person that he meets when he lands in New York, and then he's asked, he asks, like, what city is that? New York. And then you re- he has this realization. And, and then she's like, are you okay? Do you need something? Right then and there is when he can say, I'm separated from my family. I he didn't want to do that. That was the whole point. He wants to be. He wants to be alone in New York. That's what he said at the beginning so, of the movie. So he's a sociopath. Yeah. Well, because everybody shit on him. <laughs> he was. Nobody liked him in that first. Not even his family. So he was just. Oh, I'm alone in New York. That, that's what I take from that because he could have said if he was scared and he wanted to be with his family at that moment, I'm lost. But he was. He said, "Hey." I'm uh, I'm alone in New he York. He also says in the beginning, why are we going to Florida? It's a tropical location for Christmas. Um, it, like it's it's gonna it's not gonna feel right. Mm-hmm. Are you goes to New York? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you want to go to New York? I I get that aspect of it. Uh, that he he wanted to be alone in that moment. So he go he. He owns New York. He becomes the king of New York, basically. And do uh, do cab drivers pick up kids like that, and <laughs> and then let them hang out the window, Joker style, like that? They didn't. He didn't go like, sit down, kid. Like you're gonna cause me to lose my license. <laughs> I guess not. No, I don't know. I I, I really love that. Like like the place he went to was Chinatown to buy fireworks. Like I love that. Like that's a very kid thing to do. And I just think like, did he tell the cab drivers like, where can I get fireworks? Oh, we're going to Chinatown. Go in there and do your thing. And like he's eleven, and that's amazing. Um, and then we see like I think one of the best shots in a movie of the twin towers as he's walking up to him, and then like the helicopter shot of him up there by himself looking out over new york i thought that was awesome and With a very very rare no other tourists there yeah yeah that was like by himself he was up he was definitely up there i thought that was a uh, really cool um and all right so we, we talked about the family we've talked about that we, we mentioned like when the parents realize that he's not there. They go to the cops immediately and say like, this happened before it, it seems like uh, we don't never lose our luggage. I think that was just a nervous laugh, like trying to make light of a terrible situation again. Um, but the wet bandits, Harry and Marv, they're geniuses. Can you change my mind about that? <laughs> they're geniuses. Yeah. Geniuses change my mind. No, um, I need you to convince us. Yeah. The burden of proof is on you. Okay, so clearly the Wet Bandits, they've done a lot of burglaries. They did get caught by this kid, but then they escape prison. They escape prison. They're in prison and they escape. And they're out in New York somehow from I don't know where they went to prison, but they were in Chicago first. Now they're in New York. They're they're out and about and they have a plan and they execute this plan if it wasn't for this child. 
Um, I think they're geniuses. Uh, by not many inmates escape prison. They're geniuses off screen. We don't see that. <laughs> yeah, shit. we don't see this. <laughs> <laughs> Supposedly. But like, do you see where I'm coming from? Any of you? No, no I just Dan says no. Think, I think they're idiots. But they're, they're geniuses at making glass. Sorry, I was yeah. shaking my head instead of talking on a podcast. But no, I mean, like what what Preston said, they're geniuses off camera. So we yeah. only see them as idiots. Maybe that's like to play up like the family kid aspect of like the entire movie. But I think they're geniuses. I think they have plans. And I'm not sure how they met, if they're friends or they're cousins. They're not father and son. Although in this movie, Joe Pesci is taking Daniel Stern to go ice skating and to, you know, <laughs> like, it's like father and son, basically. You just said they had, had their geniuses because they have plans and stuff. They we've never seen them succeed at any of those plans. But when they talk plans. about their successful robberies and burglaries, those could be lies. <laughs> we did. I mean, in the first one, we did get to see them rob another house and turn the faucets on. So they they got away from that at least. <laughs> that's, like, that's like prank at best, though. Yeah. That's not really, robbery. The the robberies that they're doing in the first one, and even in the second one. They're not walking away with enough for like two months worth of rent. Like I don't like they're not big. They're not robbing he's talking about, He probably made a lot of money off that one guy's hat he snatched. <laughs> <laughs> the sticky bandits. Do you see a father-son element to Marvin Harry? I don't. Yeah, more like Older a Lenny. More, like, <laughs> more like an of mice and men situation. <laughs> there you go. Money. Okay, a little bit of that. <laughs> okay, all right. I mean, I got the I got the father son vibe just because I, I mean it's like Harry Daniel Stern's character always wants to be taken somewhere, and Marv is never participating. He's always like reading the paper and looking out at Harry. Uh, not Harry. Marv is um the I got the characters mixed up. Yeah, Joe Pesci is Harry. Yeah, Harry Lime from uh, that character name from Third Man, uh, but I don't. I like. I like that. I like that aspect of it. And I think it plays out funnier because clearly one's the brains and one is the idiot. And it's a very mice and men situation, brain. like Dan said. Oh my god! I wonder. Pinky in the brain. Yeah, in the brain. Perfect. <laughs> it's so good. So, so one of the new characters in the movie is I guess we call Pigeon Lady. And she plays like the heart and soul of the movie almost. Um, when Kevin first sees her, she's covered in pigeons in the park and she looks scary. And his his line to that is sick. Was that something you would say <laughs> if you saw something like this? Like, would you say those exact words? Or At that, at that age, I can totally see you see something like that. And be like, oh, gross, or oh, awesome, and you just let it out. You just say whatever you're thinking. I didn't think that that was. I just saw that. I just saw that as the callback to the first movie, when he says to the to the old man, he's like, "Sick." Yeah. So, like these two movies have a theme where it's like, don't judge an old elderly person by its cover because they usually are cooler than they seem, right? Yeah, but the seeing the lady with all the pigeons, like 
uh, my wife was saying last night, if she saw that, she was like, I would be admittedly scared. So like you could, I think you could, that image alone is probably a little more frightening than the guy shoveling the snow, but there's a lot of, there's more buildup with the the snow guy because Buzz is, you know, right next to the window saying like the legend of, you know, so he's kind of going through building it up a little more, providing that fear. So it's kind of more built in. This is like, you're going off the shock factor. Oh, um, so it's, it's more shocking. For are sure. we, are we doing it here? Are we doing it now? Are we doing Pigeon Lady versus Old Man Shoveler? Yeah. Okay. Old <laughs> Celebrity man, death match. I feel like Old Man Shoveler has a much sweeter and um, touching conclusion. Like that part, like in the church at the end oh, yeah. of that and how he saves him, like makes me want to tear up at the end of Well, yeah, home. because he has a house and he has a family that reunites. Pigeon Lady is still homeless at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. She's got a dove. I'm just She's like, well off. I feel like Pigeon Lady, they were like, let's, how can we do a down on their luck person that Kevin learns from, but also give them, and it's like, like what you're saying, there's not, it's still kind of like, oh, it's still really fucking cold out, and she's just out there covered in pigeons, but now she's got a little carved like, thing, you know, it's yeah. like, uh. Well, it seemed like the movie, she just wanted a friend. Nobody ever paid yeah, attention that's to That's what it was. Yeah. Absolutely. But, but, and that's, but, that's great, but she doesn't get it. Like all the touch, it was really sweet and touching and moving. And there was like an arc, even how small it was with Shovel Man. And this one, it's like she talked to a kid for a while and now the kid's leaving her, but she'll always have this little piece of jewelry or the little charm thing or whatever. <laughs> it's like yeah. she's still homeless. It sucks. Like I feel bad yeah. for her. <laughs> yeah, she's she's watching the greats from the from the top of, top of Carnegie Hall with her pigeons. Which yeah. is cool. It's cool, but I mean, she doesn't really know where next next like meals coming from, so yeah. that kind of sucks. I I thought I thought last night or the other night after watching it, I was like, I wish that there was something with the hotel, and I know what happened with the hotel, but if they could have spun that, where the hotel she was going to have some sort of like job in the garden at like the really fancy hotel, so she was going to have a job, she was going to interact with people every day. And she was going to have like a pigeon coop on the roof where she could keep. I, I thought I was like, that would have been really touching if Kevin somehow led to her getting back out in society. Instead, he's like, here's some jewelry, pigeon bitch. And then he leaves. Jesus, man. <laughs> it's not touching. It's not sweet. I'm here's sorry. Some jewelry, pigeon bitch. Oh, God. It's I need to be on touching. a shirt. <laughs> There's no warmth to their ending in my like. Here's Here's a turtle dove, bitch. <laughs> the warmth is their initial talk. And then he's like, all right, well, I out here in the cold, old wench, and just leaves her. It's not, yeah. it's not touching. I didn't, I, it didn't it's, do anything. Essentially, before. essentially that uh, turtle dove's going to be her Wilson. It's like that she's just going to start talking to it. Oh, pigeon bitch. It Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's gonna call it kevin and you know. oh god see this brings up a whole thing because i thought in this movie watching it again is like maybe she's not you know she doesn't have a home and doesn't have a job because you know mental illness which wasn't talked back really talked about back in 1992 but like exists no she's just broken hearted that's it <laughs> broken. which makes it worse <laughs> he left so her sad. again he broke her heart again. Like he became friends with her, did nothing to help her, 
gave her a piece of jewelry, and then left gave her. Gave her love. Gave her and love and left. left. Hot Damn. Left. Damn. <laughs> I, I, I did, that did not, I felt so bad for that woman. I, there I, needed to be like another elder, like uh, Cliff or something, like set her, set her up with Cliff. Like Duckfella. <laughs> pigeon Lady and Duckfella. There was a guy who just fed ducks and the Pigeon Lady and they were happily ever after. Right. <laughs> oh, I, kept, I kept expecting her to like, get a like be offered a job at like the toy store or something and like yes. she had you know it's all whimsical and she's working with kids and but she still has the pigeons and it's like an in-store thing not like the huge flock of them right. but like it's very i don't know and then it just like dan said it's just like a very like well fuck you bitch yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's upsetting they said like, it's been to- nice but Hope you don't freeze in Central Park. I'm sorry. We could have done without maybe one extra thing with Kevin doing something obnoxious. And the writers could have been like, you know who doesn't have a touching Christmas heart to heart arc in this movie? We leave the pigeon woman outside in the cold and we have established there are several places that she could reasonably work and have a pigeon coop on top of a building and have a life and interactions with people. But instead, we're going to be like, Here's what could have been if we if Kevin had well, if Kevin had good parents, this poor woman would have never even had a friend for a, a week. He could have yeah. cleaned her up a little, snuck her into the plaza as his mom. Yes. And all point. questions would have been off. See, Chelsea, like, oh, let's go back in time and fist fight John Hughes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pigeon bitch. I love it. I need this now in my life. All right. So he goes to the Plaza Hotel. I've been to the Plaza Hotel. Um, had drinks and yeah, it's a good place. Um, it doesn't have it, a pool. It doesn't no, no. The the pool is, was actually filmed at the four seasons in Chicago. The yeah. pool scene. Uh but that was weird. I was like positive. When he enters the Plaza Hotel in New York, who shows up? Donald Trump, who owned because the he, building, yeah, because he owned the building at that time. Yeah, I remember. I remember, like, even like this last time, like watching it last night again, and I'm just like, oh, there's Donald Trump. Oh God, I did. <laughs> what so a I piece did of hear, shit. I did hear a rumor that he had submitted a line, um, but that it was thrown out. Yeah, but. You- Hear the line? Yeah. Was it, was it grab something? I grab yeah, it was grabbing something. <laughs> What's he grabbing, Preston? <laughs> no, no, no. It would be great if he saw the pigeon woman. He was like, <laughs> "Yeah, <laughs> correct." He gets accused uh, of like touching the pigeon. It's like the pigeon woman. I'd never touch the pigeon woman. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> it was but, actually. It's actually not a bad cameo. No, I mean it's it's quick. It's like where's the lobby? Oh, it's down there and to the left. Yeah, yeah. But then he lingers on him in a little too long. He's like, "What the fuck's this kid doing?" Right. But I mean, it was like a good early nineties. Like for as much baggage I have with him, I even watched it the other night. I was like, "That's a fine. That's a fine early nineties camp." Yeah. No, for sure. Um. So I want to go back to Kevin being a genius baller gangster. And how he plays chess in making a reservation at the Plaza Hotel. Like, the kid, like, at 11, would you be able to do that? Like, he is he is planning ahead, four steps ahead of, like, what they're going to ask. And he's recording on his talk boy. 
like he's calling the hotline and he goes up. I mean, this is what do you think about this? This is I wanted to see him scramble a little bit more, mm-hmm. like not anticipate that they asked something. He's like, but that's what like I think that's what who he is. He's very calculated. He knows what he's doing, right? He's he's very quick. Do you Hi, think it's believable? Father. Hi, this is the father. Yeah. <laughs> the, the father. The father. I would like a one of those little mini fridges with the keys. Considering considering he was able to get on a plane that he wasn't even on. <laughs> I He still I hung agree. up on that. <laughs> I I agree with Preston that um he was so ahead of knowing every single thing that they were going to ask that there wasn't much tension to it. So I guess there's your one genius thing, Brian. He can make reservations very. But I, he, but I think there's more to him than that. And like he, the, like the line when he, he's like, "You kids get into mischief," and the lady looks at him behind the counter, like we all do. And it's like it's so charming and funny and smart. And then my one big question about the movie and I still don't get it to this day after watching it again, is why does Tim Curry and the lady hate this kid so much? Like, go so far as Tim Curry sneaks into the room and snoops around and is just yeah. like, what is happening? He has a credit card. It's going through. What's going on? If Tim Curry was the butler in Saltburn, that movie would have been 30 minutes long. Yeah, but but it's tim curry's job to try to figure out like the safety and all that sort of stuff but he kind of does cross a line into a creepiness where he's like obsessed with what this kid is doing but at the same time he's just seeing like a 10 year old boy with no parents with nothing so he's like something is going on here i need to figure out what is going on here so he's doing his job it's just He's a grown man doing it in a creepy way. And rather than just like call up his manager and be like, hey, can you check in on this reservation? Like, what's going on with this? But it seems like he's malicious about it. Like he's not he's not genuinely caring about a kid. He's just like, I'm annoyed that a kid's here and I must take him down. Yeah, is what I get. And I don't I don't understand why they hate him like that. It it would be it would be more realistic. It was like, oh, okay, cool. Just have your father come down and talk to me or make sure you're okay. But no, they just wanted to destroy this kid in the hotel. I think I think it might have been ahead of its time because I think back in like the 90s, like maybe these concierges would have been like nicer and a little more friendlier. And now even if you go to like nice hotels, there are some real jerks that work behind counters, even Mm -hmm. at like but i i took that (laughs) so i took i took him going into the and getting everything and doing his little spiel to the lady i took that as it's the plaza he's saying my dad's in a meeting um i'm sure that you know they get kids dropped off just kind of like oh go up to the room um maybe his dad works on like wall street or something or i don't know um so I'm thinking that they don't want to like disturb their like clientele and just be like, okay, that's what your dad said. The credit card works. Let's send you up. Yeah. Um, for, I don't know. I think Curry was just trying to do his job, but then I think he crossed into weird guy territory. He got his hands a little dirty. When he, uh, when he goes into the room at, in the middle of the night. Yep. 
That there is you go. Period. There's the line cross. <laughs> no, that 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 was strange. I don't. I I think he took it overboard. I like his character a lot, but uh, I think he took it too far. Um, and I love right after that. You know, he gets up to the room. He goes to the pool, and I love that Kevin. He again, he's a very smart kid. You know, any other kid would just run into the pool and splash, but Kevin. He asks everybody, he's like, do you, yeah. are you okay if, if I work on my cannonballs to everybody like that? I mean, that is just like amazing to me. Like that little moment of like yeah. him being an adult. I love that. I love that. Um, and then he orders an amazing dessert cart with cakes and pies and ice cream. Uh, and that's when kind of a little bit after that, the Tim Curry and all the managers come in to snoop around and that scene, like the, the line, I still laugh at it when the person on the TV, uh, angels with broken wings or whatever, says little Mo angels with a gimpy leg. filthier souls. Yeah, even filthier yeah. souls. Film for even this a meaner movie. movie. Yeah, yeah, it's a meaner movie. But when he says little Mo with the gimpy leg, I still laugh out loud at that line because it's so funny. So specific. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. Watching it this time, I was like, "Man, it is so much." This version of the film is so much meaner uh, <laughs> because yeah, the first one, it's like some dude like double crossed it, like a gangster. This is, just a, this, this is just a this a woman who wants to go on a date. <laughs> yeah, like poor lady, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> poor lady, and then. To go back to Kevin being a genius and a gangster, he orders a limousine for himself with pizza and he takes it to toy stores. I mean, what other 11 year old? I mean, blank check, blank check. I mean, I was going to say Richie Rich. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Macaulay Culkin. There you go. I just thought that was amazing that I mean, say what you will about. Kevin at the time he could have said like I'm lost. He didn't want to, he didn't want to be found. He wanted to live this life in New York. I think they could have done a, a little bit of a better job to sell that though. I think they could have he could have like articulated that a little bit more. I then, guess then I would believe it. Okay, then you would believe it. Because it's, we yeah, only get it's... that moment in the airport where he's like my family's in Florida. I'm in New York. And he does the, you know, the, the yeah. eyebrow raise and that's it. And then we have the montage, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause like in the beginning they're trying to, he he's, it seems to me like after something that like the, the events of the first film, like everybody would want to just stay home and not go anywhere and be together. And so it seems like he's wanting that, you know, the idea of the Christmas tree being together. And then I, I guess just because of how things happened, I don't know if it's like such a, you know, sharp edge, like that he wants to dive off and just be lost in it. Uh, so it just, I, I think if they had more of a thing, like, man, my, you know, this happened again, like this, um, I, I'd rather just be by myself in New York. Like, I don't know, like a, some stranger conversation or something like that probably <laughs> would have made it a little bit, uh, sold it a little bit more for me. I don't know. Did, did y'all, did y'all agree with that? I just feel like it. he, after his family treated him like complete shit, I think he was ready to be on his own. 
Well, it's like in the beginning when it, when they're talking and his mom and him are talking pretty sharply and she goes, she goes, well, you got your wish last year. Maybe it'll happen again. And, and I, and I'm sitting there, I'm going, your child almost got killed a hundred different ways by like two very inept, but dangerous burglars. Like what do you want? That's the question I want to bring up. Do Kevin's parents know about Harry and Marv? I don't they think might. they do. I don't think they do because they never bring them up and they don't get home in the first one until after everything's okay. And after the cops leave and everything, I don't think they know about Harry and Marv, which talks to Kevin that says something about Kevin himself by like, I mean, if you were 10 years old and you were like, holy shit, I took down two burglars. Cops came. I destroyed no. these two adults. He did the not. I don't think he told to his parents. To the parents about it. Like the, the cops, like through the justice system, they have to like talk to the parents about it. But that, that didn't happen. That was all done before she got home and the rest of the family. Okay, got but a crime has still been committed. The home is a crime. The whole entire home at the end of the first one is literally a crime scene. <laughs> yeah. like, we don't see that though, and they don't mention scene. it in part two. Well, I agree with you; they don't mention it at all, um, even with a throwaway line. But I'm just saying, like, it's—I it's, don't it's, think they know about Harry and Marv. Brian, don't argue with the law. No, 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 it's fine. <laughs> I'm saying, like, it's cute in the first one where they just get put away and they drive away and it's all over. But like in real life, even in the 90s, it would have been yellow tape around the entire house and just like interviewing people and photos and blah, blah, blah. Even with those like traps and stuff, they'd be like, how'd you do this? Yeah. yeah. No, it, right, right. You got hired by the government. Yeah, they'd be like, <laughs> we're putting you in training early. I don't think his parents know about Harry Marv. That's it. Are we going to do it now? We'll do it now. Um, if, what? If Kevin walked into the correct hotel in New York, he would have walked into the Continental. And he would be <laughs> the greatest, <laughs> like, the greatest assassin, like, accidental assassin. He'd be like, Hitman. It's like, how do you kill people? He's like, no, I can't shoot a gun. I don't have a bulletproof suit. But, like, you know, the, <laughs> the CEO of that tech company that's farming out children fell off a marble off the third story of his house and cracked his skull open and no one's even looking into it. Oh my God. My, my brain is going yeah. 90 miles an hour right now. Can yeah, we clearly. please get a short film of Kevin McAllister versus John Wick? John Wick is giving an assignment to kill Kevin McAllister. But in, in the movie ends, like the short, film, the short film ends with yeah. they're both still alive and they just kind yeah. of like tip their hat to each other. Like, hmm, uh, you invested each remember, other. Was it was it the first, the second John Wick where everyone comes into the Continental and it's yeah. like, it Winston and them like killing people with shotguns? Like imagine if Kevin had just wandered in there 15 years earlier and was working with Winston and everyone and just like built all these those guys would have never even they wouldn't even had to fire one shot yeah I'm and telling you all oh, genius Dan and oh, when he was yeah. a kid he, he could have been playing pogs and his slammer could have been the gold coin but perfect Ooh, he bringing that all the pogs. 90s, all the 90s <laughs> Alf pogs I, I want to add it I want to add stinger now to to this of uh 
it ending with the Bowery King coming out. Somebody get this boy a gun. <laughs> it's, it's the it's slow motion of the pigeon lady walking into the Bowery King. Pigeons, the pigeon connection. Yeah. Shit. Oh, God. Oh, shit. Yeah. Bowery King. Yeah. Oh, dude. She started it. She started it. She passed on everything to Lawrence. Yeah. And, uh, oh. After She's talking to Kevin, she yeah. got her life I take together. It, I take it back. That's why she didn't get a job. Yeah. yeah. She, she was, was, she was the New York contact. Bowery yeah. queen. Damn. <laughs> Damn, we're good. And I'm getting so a birdseed from somewhere. <laughs> oh, that's genius. Oh, that's the best one yet. Okay. All right. Good God. I mean, I feel like we should end the podcast there, but we're not. <laughs> that's so good. Um. All right, so he he goes to this toy store and it's Duncan's toy chest. And I want to ask, so the owner, Duncan, at the toy store tells Kevin this story that during the week of Christmas, he takes all the money from the register and is going to donate it to a children's hospital. Does any company ever going to do that? <laughs> like, can you see Not that ever it. happening? Um, like maybe like five percent of one day goes to the children's hospital. We 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 made this joke a thousand times, and you said they didn't rush this movie because it came out two years later. But they pretty much did a fat. They literally just copy and pasted the beginning of the first one into the beginning of this movie. Did some traps, and then they were like, "How can we get Mar and Harry involved in this?" I know. The cash register of cash <laughs> was just like the plot for that much money to be around was just well, not even that much money. Let's let's say okay, so they because they Marvin Harry talk about this being their biggest score. They're going to retire after this, go to Mexico or something like that. And I was like, how much money could actually be in this toy store? And I'm going to be very liberal here and say like, what if it's fifty thousand dollars, which it's not. $50,000 is not going to last two people for a lifetime. <laughs> but I guarantee you it's probably going to be like more like $5,000. Yeah. Their math Because if you see are... it, it's all like ones that are being... <laughs> yeah. Their math skills are on par with like Seth Rogen and knocked out, uh, knocked up when he's <laughs> like, yeah, I got hit by a truck. I got $9,000 left. I'm not a mathematician, but it may last me another like 10 years or something. <laughs> I eat a lot of spaghetti. <laughs> yeah. By the way, can we, uh, I got a question. Do any of y'all think that that was an exciting like toy store where you can actually purchase things from? Because when no, I was it watching- looked, I, I said that it, when, when he walks in, I was like, this FAO Schwartz knockoff, I guess, only looked like... It was like, an FAO Schwartz. Right. It was. But it looked like it was just something I would never want as a kid. Like little houses or... Like there there wasn't... Like it, in the end of Eyes Wide Shut, when they're actually in an FAO Schwartz, had all the crazy fun toys uh, displayed. This one looked like an antique store of yeah. something from the 50s whereas like it looked like you could buy anything they were just setups like a production designer show off type yeah of thing. yeah it was, in it. it was really dressed for christmas yeah yeah, yeah. it was crazy no I, I got that i was like wait i don't think i buy anything in this store at 11 because none of it looks fun to play yeah. with so we all agree the toy store sucked i was hoping we were all gonna agree there yeah we we, we do we do um and so I guess Kevin 
Marv and Harry are fine without him, basically, and they're going to do live their life separately. But Kevin has this moment where he's like, I'm going to go stop them because I want the kids at the hospital to have their money. And so he foils kids on Christmas. Right. So he foils them. And I'm going to say again, Kevin is playing chess here five, six moves ahead. He plans this elaborate plan in a matter of seconds in this he draws it all out and he is doing crazy things that I don't even know if many of adults can think of by setting traps, but he, you know, he gets Harry and Marv to come chase him back to um, his uncle's place. And this is where the traps begin. And it's fine. I think it's to serve the movie to get to this point in time. And I must say the, the hardest I laughed in this movie last night was the first trap of both Harry and Marv being downstairs in the bricks to the face because it hits. Oh my God. It hits Marv in the face four times. And I don't care how much you do a joke, but each time was funnier than the last of the brick to the face on Marv. Cause it hit him. They did it four times and it's funnier every time. I, I mean, that should have, at best, he would have brain damage. Yeah. They would At all best. be so dead by the end. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, even in the first movie, I mean, the, the Harry and Marv are indestructible, but yeah. throwing yeah. a brick off like a 10 st- or like a three story building on somebody's face, but like the four times and how Daniel Stern sells it is so great. I kept laughing because he's trying to hit Harry and Harry keeps moving out of the way and hitting Marv, only to have Marv be stapled gun in the butthole, the dick, and the face right afterwards. Yo, it's- that staple to the face, I was like, you're not getting out of this. Like, and like, my, my question is after, even just after that, and when Harry tries to climb up the ladder and it's like the, uh, the shampoo that he falls. Don't you think there's a time where he's like, I give up. I can't go through this again. I'm not going to go through with this. Yeah, but they're idiots. So they don't know. Yeah. They don't, they don't have the scene from John wick when they're opening up the cabinet and taking all the guns. They're like, I'm not fucking around this time. Yeah. And I love when Joe Pesci, says to kevin is like hey we're in a hurry i would and i'm not opposed to killing a child but for the sake of us getting out of here just throw down the camera and i'll just like oh man this is so good um and i i loved the traps here like because they were more intense like the duffel bag of tools and Joe Pesci blowing up a toilet. And even like the ladder, when he climbs a ladder and Kevin cuts it a little bit. So like if he climbs up, it's going to fall down. Like these are genius traps. Do you agree? Is there a favorite trap you have? It's, it's almost like a child couldn't have done those traps. Tra- no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Kevin is a genius. He's a baller. He's a gangster. He planned I ahead. I don't have a favorite trap. I just want to shout out the sound design on every single thing that hits these guys in the face, the head. It is so funny. And it mm-hmm. is so much better than the first movie. Because I recently watched the first Home Alone and the smacks, 
<laughs> just like the balls. <laughs> they're hard hitting it's so funny though it's so cartoony they lean into it in the second one even harder than the first one it honestly is like they're taking the track from a looney tunes cartoon yeah that's what it is and just laying it over top of what's happening to these guys and it works so well every trap is perfect because of how well the sound is for them my favorite one is the stairwell yeah, the, the paint cans because they get they they think they outsmarted him and they get a double a triple dose of it. <laughs> what is that's that weird poor. green goo that's like everywhere too? That that was the shampoo he buys at um at Duncan's toy chest, the monster shampoo. Oh, okay. So I was like, why is there so much random green? Yeah, that was the the shampoo he too. <laughs> yeah, troll too. There you go. No, but Preston, the paint can thing when Harry has to tell Marv, like, wait, wait, this happened last time, and they like practice it, and even Marv sells it, like, I'll get him. You know, he yeah. pretends to Got go up, right in the schnoz. and they get this like yeah. gigantic, like five hundred pound lead Pipe. bar, and then they hits him, and then he hits and the two cans, it. and they fall down, and then he cuts the thing, and it falls. I'm telling you, this kid's a genius. Like that, that's such a good one. And I, you know, with the funnier one that makes no sense, but is so funny. I think it is the most cartoony. Is the the tool chest Ooh, going yeah. down the stairs? Oh yeah, and slamming them, and their noses are crooked, and they cur- yeah, and he's like, "What's that sound?" <laughs> and then uh, Marv says, "That was a tool chest going down the flight of stairs." And he goes, "Oh, oh." <laughs> I mean, it's so that it, it, it's so good. I I love that part of it. Um, and then of course goes to the the Central Park and everything's wrapped up uh, for that. Um, what do you think of the movie's ending? Like how, what do you, what do you think? Like, do you think it ends just like the first one? Like, I mean, it is a replica where um, like you hear like, Kevin, what did you do to my room? Or you spent $976 on room service. I mean, I mean, I guess it's trying to be cute, but do you think the overall tone of the movie is intact of maybe family Christmas and don't judge a book by its cover, maybe an element of new friendship. I don't know. I just think you should watch your kids. It's a joke at the end, but it doesn't work for me. If we're yeah, I think they could have said something better because why would he be mad? Like he's, he's alive. He's being taken care of. Obviously this family has money. It would have been funny if it was like, what are all these fucking pigeons? <laughs> Why do you smell like pigeon shit? <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I also find it highly unbelievable that he just ran out of the hotel again by himself. Like none of, like, none of the parents concerned. Like they're just like that. Everybody's opening presents. They don't care about him. That's what I said. I was watching yeah. it and I said, uh, uh, uh. Uh, they're, they're letting them go like how's yeah. no one watching the exits like again it's parents that have five kids i don't know villains. that's no excuse. yeah i don't know i don't know if they're the villains okay i gotta ask all of us love kieran culkin we've seen succession is it amazing still to watch a young kieran culkin as fuller and trying to see a resemblance in roman 
<laughs> and Fuller here. He's I so love how he does the eyebrow raise in this one. He, he's like, man, me in bed, you know. Like, <laughs> if that was a great moment where he has the whole bed to himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with, with the cans. And the eyebrow raise, I definitely saw it. With, with 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 that, oh, it's yeah. so good. And in like his his, I feel like it's a Roman line where Kevin Kevin Fuller wake up and they're talking to each other, brother to brother, uh, in real life. And he says to Fuller, "Santa doesn't come to hotels." And Fuller's response was, "Santa is omnipresent." Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, "God damn, that's a Roman line." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I loved that um and it was, so he he's such a cute kid and i just love that he i mean i would love to believe that the cast of home alone watched succession for uh for little fuller but i i know i love that um i love that form so i okay so the funniest scene in the movie i know we have we uh, we brought this um to the internet and I have uh, some answers. Um, triple triplet family table said the cannonball on the pool losing his swimsuit was their favorite, their funniest scene to them. Um, a movie guy said the tool chest face smush <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, was pretty good. Um, Liz Harding says giving a homeless woman a toy bird rather than food before going to his hotel room <laughs> is the funniest that, thing. That is yeah. the answer. That that is the answer for Liz, from Liz. <laughs> um, Miss Strawberry Cake said the whole scene of Marv trying to get into the house. Um, Chels P. Colvin said Marv turning into the skeleton when being electrocuted, which I think is the very Looney Tunes aspect of this movie, right? Because when yeah. he's being electrocuted, you see the skeleton scream. Yep. Um, and then Danielle's at the moment, the hotel scenes with the shower and the angels with filthier souls is the funniest thing because it is such a mean scene. That's what we got. But what is what Chelsea, what's the funniest scene to you? Um, I mean, I, I like the funniest line to me uh, of which I, I laughed really hard was, um, when he, after he goes up to the room and he just sits down, he, and he goes, I've committed credit card fraud. (laughs) 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 That made me laugh really hard. I don't know why, but it was, he was just very like, uh, he was very adult Kevin in that moment. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, Dan, what was yours? Funniest? I still think it's got to be just the the consistent bricks to the face with the sound effects. Yeah, like, man, that it's happens. so good. Like said, four every times. Time every time it happens, I laugh harder because it yeah. sounds better and it's just more obnoxious. I love it. And it's just great that he's trying to tell him and Marv gets out of the way. It's, I mean, Harry gets out of the way every time. All right, Preston, you said that your son had a core moment of laughing in the movie. What yeah. is it? It happens pretty early on. And it's when uh, uh, Kevin's mom says, like, you can go back up there with Fuller. And he's like, I'd rather kiss a toilet seat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <I just got it. laughs> <laughs> 
And he, oh my gosh, my son just was like, let's see. And he just started giggling and it was just amazing. Um, the other one that made my wife and I laugh was when Buzz is trying to get the attention of the whole room and he does his whistle, but he goes. Yeah, he, he, he like a, beefs it with a raspberry. He, he does a fart noise. <laughs> <laughs> which is a great nuanced thing because like yeah. i think he tries to be cool but he's just he can't do some of those things i thought that was really good too <laughs> uh yeah but uh also uh a funny moment to me just because of its potential and there's no comedy in the moment at all but just just kind of where my own head goes is when kevin's mom gets to their relative's house in new york and she's going up to the steps to knock on the door i was like man how great would it be if like she just walked in and experienced all those traps right yeah i i thought about that too like what if what if she went in and you know did that fell through yeah but i would think that maybe at that moment in time she would be more cognizant of what's happening around like even that big hole in the floor and, and marv goes what a hole <laughs> when he falls through it is so great uh, it's just that's funny still oh daniel stern's so funny so yeah maybe like the what a hole line and the bricks to the face are still e excellent to me um is this so this movie has 35 percent rating on rotten tomatoes why do you think critics at the time were just look same shit different year like i don't like it it's me i don't know and do you think it deserves a 36 percent? so i was thinking about this last night and i was trying to get my head because i read roger ebert's review and he was he gave it two stars and he had fun with it talking about how harry and marv are like can just dust themselves off and bend their bones back into place and things like that. Um, but you know, the, the reality it is, is, which we've already said is that it's just a carbon copy of the first one with some tune-ups and some advertising in there. Cause like, I, if you're a kid at that time, you definitely bought that recorder. Um, <clears throat> I, I certainly did. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think if I was who I am now watching it, then and I've seen lazy sequels do that, and I have been harsh on them. But we've also pointed out, like, there's still comedy gold in this, and there's still some, there Kevin the the appeal of Kevin being able to do these things. I think I still would boost it up into positive. So I don't think it's a completely lazy sequel. I think the the plot beats are lazy. But the things that they do with some of the characters are, are what kind of elevate it. Um, so I, I think critics should have been a little more favorable of it, I would say, at the time. Yeah, I agree. Chelsea? Yeah, I just think I, uh, I mean, I'm going to echo Preston and say it's, it is a bit of a, like a carbon copy with just a few tweaks. Um yeah, I, I I enjoy it as a fun holiday movie. I get a lot of laughs from it. Um, I think it should have been, I mean, to me, what was it at? A 30-something? A 35, 36. Yeah, it shouldn't be that low. It should be like, we're going to... 
high fifties, low sixties, high fifties. Okay. I'll say. Yeah. All right. I'd say low sixties. Yeah. Okay. Dan, the law. Yeah, it, it should be pumped up. Definitely bumped up, but not anywhere close to the first home alone. Cause I think if somebody asked me right now, which one should someone watch around the holidays, I would definitely say first home alone. It wouldn't even be a question that I'd always point them towards the original in any capacity. So yeah, it's not as it's not as good as the first, but it's definitely a movie where if someone's like, "Oh, should I watch this?" I would absolutely recommend it. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we love uh, wishful thinking movies. Like every kid watching this is like, "Man, I just, just living vicariously through this kid." Like you, anybody who does some wrong to you, you just kind of put them through these uh, traps and things in your own head, and just kind of curious. Oh, what would it be like to just kind of be on your own in a big city like that? Um, so I, I, I think that that wonder is what makes it pretty satisfying as a kid. Ordering a limo with their very own cheese pizza going to toy stores is awesome. And the Plaza does a whole Home Alone package now that you can do. Oh, yeah. I read that. Yeah, you can get the Home Alone package where like the room is decorated to look like the one in the movie and there's like gifts and it takes you on a tour of like the shooting locations in a limo it includes the creeps of the hotel. I wonder how the Plaza actually felt about it, about their image of that. <laughs> like we're really showing off how great the Plaza is up until like, you know, the creeps going in your room <laughs> and thinking that there's an active shooter on one of the floors. Of yeah. Girl. Yeah. That was a lot. Uh, Mad so with a gun. Yeah, the I love uh, Tim Curry in this. I I think it goes at yeah upper sixties to me or, or low seventies. I think is I mean I'll say it's a seventy five for me. I love this movie, and I think it's just not a thirty five. I think it's a seventy five. That's what I'm gonna say. Seventy five. Tim Curry, Rob Schneider, very young Rob Schneider, um, who just wants to count Cedric wants to count his tips in public. <laughs> <laughs> uh pretty good but yeah home alone 2 it's on disney it's on hulu it's kind of everywhere right now for free if you have one of those subscriptions um we are fear and loathing in cinema next week we'll start december it's going to be a great great month of holiday movies um yeah chelsea where can everybody find you online miss underscore Tenenbaum on Twitter and Chelsea Nico on everything else that includes PlayStation. Ooh, all right. PS five, uh, press and where can they find you at? You can find my writing and videos on freshfiction.tv and dittonrc.com for the Ditton Record Chronicle, or you can follow me on socials, uh, Twitter, press Nambarda, and then Instagram, Blu-ray dad. Hell yeah. And Dan, Fear and Loathing in Cinema on Instagram or Fear and Loathing in Cinema at gmail.com. Hell yeah. And I'm Brian Kluger. Find me on Twitter and Instagram and highdefdigest.com and boomstickcomics.com. Thank you very much for coming to Fear and Loathing in Cinema podcast. Bye.